The reading is from James, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. So let's pray. Um, Father, uh, come and send your spirit in, in, into each of our hearts right now so that we may understand what you want to say to us through your word. Lord, give us not just understanding, but um, give us the motivation, give us the heart, um, give us the understanding of, 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 of how we can apply this to our lives today. Amen. Amen. So um, I want you to turn to the person next to you um, and to tell them what is your favorite food, okay? What's your favorite food? Okay, so food, let's go for... What's your favorite music? Discuss that one then. What's your favorite music? Bad music. Um, what about what's your favorite day of the week? Let's have a discussion of that one. What's your favorite day of the week? Did anybody say Monday out of interest? 
Okay. All right. Finally, now discuss who are your fev- your, who are your favourite people in the church. Go. No, no, don't. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Don't do that. Now, I reckon there are loosely two kinds of people here this morning. Um, first, there were those who were horrified at my suggestion that you should name your favourites amongst God's family. Um, secondly, are those of you who had a, a league table rapidly forming. <laughs> In your mind, perhaps it still is, perhaps it was always there. Now, I think the truth is that for most of us, we're a bit of a mixture of, of the two, aren't we? We, we? we naturally have people that we uh, love and enjoy being with, if we're honest, more than others. And yet, in the back of our mind, we're aware of an uneasy feeling when categorizing people in this way. Um, I, I realized as I wrote this, actually, I, I probably did the most blatant form of this once. I, I, at a workplace that I was um, in, we, we, um, I was quite young at the time, we created top trumps for everyone in the workplace, basically. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't, you know, nobody was like, really got a really bad score, but we created top trumps. We literally ranked people to play a game with. Anyway, in our series in James, we are looking at what it means to become like Jesus. You know, James, uh, Jesus' half-brother, he grew up with him. He followed him as a disciple. He's now a leader in the early Jerusalem church. And he's writing to this church that's been scattered across the region by uh, the outbreak of persecution. And uh, what James is doing is he's, a, he's taking the teachings of Jesus, um, uh, in particular the Sermon on the Mount in, in, in uh, Matthew 5 to 7, along with ancient wisdom from the book of Proverbs, And he's applying those to the circumstances in which the church finds itself. Um, You can catch up on the first two parts of the series that we've had so far on our podcast or on the Facebook page, if you like. And we've seen already what James has had to say about facing severe trials with joy. um, And we've seen what he said about being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. You can see how he's, he's kind of tackling these really practical issues in the church. And now he's turning his attention to the problem of favoritism. And he's not talking about food or music or days of the week or anything like that. He's talking about people and the relationships between people. Let's take a look. This is uh, James 2 verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now, it's possible that you have verses in the Bible that you consider inflammatory or controversial, um, verses that you struggle with or find hard to accept, and I'm guessing that despite maybe your little internal league table or game of top trumps, this verse is not one of them. It does not upset you. It's not controversial. But we have to understand that this was not the case for the context that James was writing in. We have an assumption of equality, that all lives should matter equally It's a mainstream value, but it's not always been. And in fact, it never really was until a rabbi named Jesus came onto the scene. If you were an ancient Greek or Roman citizen, you would know implicitly that all lives do not matter equally. It was the logical conclusion of the value systems and the ethics of the day. Inequality was embedded, even enshrined in law. 
It's not remotely controversial to say that one human was worth more than another. Now contrast that with the message in the world today. In fact, um, uh, an interesting diversion would have been to you know, go look at some of the discussions that happened around the pandemic. There was some quite heated arguments where some of the kind of um, some of the big secular names of our society called out saying that they felt that the life of somebody in a care home was not worth the same as somebody who was younger. And this there was a huge backlash, huge controversy. Look it up. It was really interesting, mostly because people were trying to work out why they thought what they thought. But I'll move on from that. When James said everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, the revolutionary part of that was the everyone. In that society, the expectation was that the women should be slow to speak or that the slaves should be slow to speak, or that the poor should be slow to speak. James is saying, no, this is for everyone in God's family. He's setting a different cultural ethic based on radical equality. What James was seeing and what he was calling out in the church was that these cultural discriminations were being seen in the early church. It's not surprising, really. The church is always influenced by cultural values. Um, We're all people of a culture, we carry that into our church community. Becoming Christ-like, though, is about identifying where that is happening in us and asking God to change us. James gives this illustration of of a church gathering where two strangers walk in. We could kind of imagine it here, couldn't we? One wearing a gold ring, that was the emblem of an upper level Roman equestrian class person, apparently, and another in filthy rags and the the greek word for filthy there is the same that james used to describe sin and pollution in chapter one and in this story the two guests are treated differently one with honor the other with disdain one with is is given um, preferential treatment the other is discriminated against essentially on the basis of uh, impressions and on poverty james explains that this is wrong why And it's wrong, he says, because God says it's wrong. Genesis 1, 27, the creative creation narrative. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the verse that sets the biblical principle of equality. And God carries that through into his... Uh, law, this is Leviticus 19.15, do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. And the problem was that um, favoritism was leading to injustice. Um, The wealthy had influence in the courts, and it seems they were using that to influence and, and persecute the church. The Apostle Paul, before his conversion, boasted of how he used his power and status to have followers of Jesus locked up and murdered. Favoritism goes against God's law, and James is showing the futility, in any case, of favoring the rich, because they were the ones who were doing the persecuting. He's giving these kind of theological and practical reasons against favoritism. Now, in the modern world, justice is blind. It's meant to be blind. We, we see this uh, kind of represented in statues of Lady Justice around many courts of law. The point being that justice is not meant to discriminate. And we would all 
agree that this is the way things should be. Perhaps we assume they are. Of course, events in recent years have reminded us again of just how much of an illusion this still is in practice. You know, raw statistics demonstrate that the differences in legal protections and prosecutions that apply to people in practice on the basis of race and sex and age. That's the reality in our culture. And we also think of um, the issue of slavery as something that is historical, whereas in fact there are more people living in slavery today in our world than at any time in history, we're told. Not just across the world, but in this country. It's around us, it's hidden in plain sight, injustice and favoritism in action. Um, I think I previously told you the story about a, a car wash at the end of our garden in Bristol when I was training for ordination. This car wash was operating all day long and it turned out that those um, people operating the car wash were slaves. Um, the owners were jailed for 15 years. It was there right in front of us. We just didn't realize. The conditions they were living in was horrific. We might look at those examples and say, well, we are not directly in showing favoritism by enslaving people or distorting the legal system against them. We're not actively doing that. But the word favoritism in the Greek means literally to receive to the face, receive the face, to make judgments about people based on external appearances. That might be color of the skin or dress or physical appearance. Arguably, the influence of cultural standards of image have never been as strong as they are today. But the problem is, is that the structural inequalities and the outworkings of favoritism are symptomatic of the human heart. We can rant and protest against systems and institutions and governments, but the truth is the problem goes deeper. It's a problem of the heart. And we are all part of the problem. We all show favoritism with our biases, unconscious or otherwise. We all harm and discriminate. We all judge people on the basis of physical appearance or beauty. Bottom line is that we are likely to show partiality to those we think can benefit us and discriminate against those who can't. That's what researchers say. And let's be real, this is a, a problem that has never fully gone away in the church. You know, the old Victorian pews, you know, you'll notice on the ends of them have numbers. And uh, these dates back to the days when the wealthy paid an annual rent for a good seat in the house. They literally paid for front row seats. Um, not so much of a problem now, is it? Um, everybody likes to sit at the back. Maybe we should start introducing charges again and make it, no. Um, Hello back there, by the way. Um, so we're, we're, all, we're all hypocrites in this, okay? On some level, we, we're like the second century cynic Lucian who said this, if some rich man or other has made an extravagant outlay on a dinner or keeps a mistress, I make it my affair to get hot about it. But if one of my friends or associates is ill, abed, and needs relief and attendance, I ignore it. We are attuned to the activities of the rich and the influential more than that than the needs of the poor around us. These are just basic cultural realities. And James was calling this out amongst disciples of Jesus, saying this shouldn't be. So what can we do about it? Um, how do we avoid the pitfalls of favoritism? How can we become more like Jesus in how we see and treat one another? And James gives a few pointers. 
First, James is taking, the, 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 I guess, the basic first step is to make the Christians aware of their problem. By giving this example of the rich man and the poor man coming into the gathering, he's alerting them to it. And as with so much else with life, it just starts with awareness. Second, he urges them to see things from God's perspective, to align their thinking with God's thinking. Verse 5, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? He's saying that the, those that the culture has excluded, dismissed, discriminated against are at the heart of God's salvation story. They may not have much in uh, worldly terms, but they are heirs to God's kingdom. Um, 30 places favoritism in the context of the Old Testament law, con contrasting it with love, which he says summarizes the law. He's saying favoritism and love are two opposites. Verse 8, 9, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. You know, maybe, he says, favoritism may not feel as big a deal as murder or adultery, but it's breaking the law of God's love just the same. It's no different. It's all part of doing things God's way, the best way. And this is the whole thing about what the church was meant to be, a radically different community based on self-giving love, the same love that was modeled by Jesus in his life and death and his resurrection for us. You know, community, uh, as Paul says in Galatians, where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's hugely radical. You know, people get confused as, uh, about the Bible and the concept of slavery, missing the journey that Scripture paints God's uh, people. The, script, the, 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 the story that Scripture paints as God calls his people out of a culture of abusive, exploitative relationships into communities who, um, you know, like James does, refer to each other as dear brother and sister. The Old Testament law bans slavery outright with the uh, establishment of employment conditions, including mandatory weekly days off and uh, lifelong bonded labor uh, uh, abolished. And one of the most surprising letters in the New Testament is um, Paul's letter to um, Philemon, a Roman slave owner, now a disciple of Jesus, urging him to, um, to welcome back his escaped slave, no longer as a slave, but now as a dear brother. Hugely radical in its time. Point is, in the church, all relationships are to be framed not by status, but by love. And you heard this, um, uh, James finishes the section with a, a pretty stark warning in verse 13. He's uh, showing how discrimination is the opposite of mercy, which means if a Christian says, it doesn't matter what I do, God will forgive me so I can discriminate against the poor, then if God is truly a God of mercy, he must act in judgment. Because God's being merciful to the unmerciful would mean that he is being unmerciful to the poor, the helpless, the innocent, the victims. Do you see? So James is saying this is really important. Well, so what about us? Um, 
well, let's, let's be clear about you know, one thing. It's easy to read these kind of warnings and think we're getting into sort of salvation by works way of thinking. We have to do the right thing for God to accept us. You know, um, do this or God will punish you. But James is talking to people who have already received God's mercy, his forgiveness, his acceptance. So this is, as our uh, series suggests, um, all about how those who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus will want to grow like him, to be made into the image of the Son of God in all things. This is about coming more like Jesus and becoming this different kind of community. That said, here are a few possible applications. Uh, First, be aware of your favoritisms. You know, the point is not that we shouldn't have people that we love or have deeper relationships with. You know, I used to worry that this passage meant that I couldn't have friends um, or enjoy some people more than others. That's not the point. Point is, be aware of who you love less, who you might naturally perhaps discriminate against, and make sure that you don't treat those people unfavorably. Discrimination has become a a bit of a watchword, and efforts to address it are sometimes dismissed as kind of wokery, and, and I think there can be an element of that, especially when it comes from a perspective of PR and keeping up appearances. But with Jesus, it's different because it comes from a place of love. How do we love those who are not naturally drawn to so we don't discriminate against them? Well, we stay close to Jesus. We look at people through his eyes. We ask him to help us see them like he sees them, to love them as he does. If we spend our time immersed in a media of um, cancel culture or dismissing people with swipes, then we will become people who discriminate and don't love. If we spend time with Jesus, we start to see people like he does. It's a simple question of formation. Who do we want to be more like in five years' time, Jesus or Twitter? We are all formed by our idols. I know that's a horrible generalization, but you get the point. Finally, one of the uh, best tips I've ever been given about loving people who are hard to love um, was to ask for the gift of prophecy. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a vision of who that person will be once God has finished with them. Who they will become perfected in the glory of his kingdom, their destiny. See them not as they are today, but as they will be one day. That's a really powerful perspective to have. It's a perspective of grace. You know, what a privilege to see and be seen that way. Ask God to give you eyes for that. Why do we do that now?